and welcome to Disrupt TV. My name is Vala Afshar, Chief Digital Evangelist at Salesforce and your co-host for the next hour. Please follow us on Twitter at Disrupt TV Show. Send Ray, myself, and our distinguished guest your questions using hashtag Disrupt TV. It's my pleasure to introduce my co-host. He's the CEO and founder of Constellation Research, best-selling author of Disrupting Digital Business, regular contributor to Harvard Business Review, ZDNet, and many other publications. And in my humble opinion, one of the top futurists to follow on Twitter, at RWANG0. Welcome, Ray Wong from Davos. I'm here with my awesome co-host as well, Bala Ashard, and he's one of the top followers on Twitter for CIOs and CMOs, and more importantly, he's an author himself. You gotta check out his book, and more importantly, uh, we are live here from Davos, and who are we here with? It is a pleasure to introduce David Kirkpatrick, founder, editor-in-chief of Techonomy. As the founder of Techonomy, David is a journalist, commentator about technology, and author of the best-selling book, the Facebook effect, the inside story of the company that's connecting the world. This is published in 32 countries. You can follow David on Twitter at D-A-V-I-D-K-I-R-K-P-A-T-R-I-C. Welcome, David, from Davos to Disrupt TV. I didn't have my last letter and my last name was at the time I joined Twitter. You couldn't even use that many characters. <laughs> <laughs> I was an early adopter. I was early, yeah. Well, I don't use it that much, but I was early. Well, this is awesome. We're live here at the uh, Wipro Pavilion, which is Promenade 74. Come by, check it out. Um, this year's Davos is a little bit different. So what do you see? What are some of the trends that have changed? Well, they're always different. What do you think is so different this year? I think we got a little bit of this gloom on globalization and debt crisis. But what do you see? Okay, well, clearly there's gloom on globalization and debt, but I would say there's also gloom about technology because there's a feeling that the data problem is out of control and we don't really have a solution for it. So from, you know, this is my world, this idea of especially Facebook related problems. And uh, you know that I, unfortunately, oh, yeah. or for better or for worse, I'm sort of a magnet for opinions about Facebook, both having them and receiving them. So I hear people talk about it all the time and nobody says anything good about it. I just came from DLD, which is a great tech conference in Munich. Um, Cheryl Sandberg spoke there to universal, really, uh, disapproval, I would say. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> she got the most tepid applause. Uh, were you there, too? I heard about oh, that. Yeah. It was very tepid, and uh, she, she really didn't, I don't think, sway anyone. It was a very slick, very glib, unfortunately, presentation. But I think similarly here at Davos, uh, there are so many tech people. I mean, one thing that's changed at Davos in recent, maybe the last decade, since I've been coming here many, many years is 22nd Davos, but in the last decade, it has become totally suffused with technology. This is a community of technologists as well as global leaders. There is a swarming with people from tech. I mean, blockchain people are here in too many numbers, but I was at a dinner last night and I would say a lot of the people there were truly distressed about the prospect of, of the, the failure of our ability to govern the net giants generally and, and this fear that with Facebook, with Alexa, with a lot of other things that are happening now and the looming internet of things on 5G, that we're really at risk of losing control of our, our data almost entirely and nobody really knows what to do about it. That's a big topic here. Yeah, yeah. we're seeing a tech clash, so go ahead, Bala. Yeah, I was, I was just going back to DLD, having Professor Scott Galloway follow uh, anybody from Facebook makes it a little bit more uncomfortable because because of his predictions and uh, 
his uh, very uh, very targeted uh, discussion. Oh, American stance is amazing. <laughs> yeah, right. So, so, so you know, in, in this uh, new economic era, globalization 4.0, which which is the theme, um, we've had uh, World Economic Forum talk about that this is not a zero sum game. Uh, so it's not a matter of free trade or protectionism. It's not technology or jobs. It's not immigration or protecting citizen or growth versus equality. Do you get a sense based on this explosive, uh, what Crawford Delpret, the new president of IDC noted, multiplied innovation, where you have cloud and mobile and social and mixed reality, artificial intelligence, blockchain, 3D printing, so on and so forth. Companies are now gravitating more from experimentation phase to actual implementation and adoption. And with that, you have this important element of your core values. And if trust is not your number one core value, it's very difficult to compete in this hyper-connected knowledge sharing economy. Do you see trust as a core theme of some of the sessions that you've been a part of at, at Davos? Well, trust is a core theme of all discussions about business right now and tech. Uh, and, and one of the annual big things that happens at Davos is the unveiling of the Edelman Trust Barometer, uh, which came out uh, this morning, actually. And what it discovered uh, was a, I'd say, even greater concern among citizens around the world about inequality of all sorts. But it also found a weird and somewhat encouraging thing, depending on your perspective, which is that citizens in almost every country are increasingly looking to business for leadership on the issues of our time on the social, the ethical, the, the political, the economic, it, for su societal success, that people are hoping that companies will take the lead because they're so distressed that governments are failing to do so. Um, so I think that's a big deal. But you know, I think you, the question you asked was quite well articulated in, in, in its scope. Uh, the reality is we are at a moment when so many things are happening at once in the technology realm, and, and let's face it, the economy is still powering forward. So we're still basically in good times. But I think despite the good times economically, many, many people have tremendous concerns about how all these technology trends are gonna coalesce into a future world that will be safe and happy for all of us. And the issue of data, the issue of security, uh, privacy um, and jobs. These are these are gigantic concerns, and the jobs concern, by the way, also looms very large in the Edelman research. So, you know, I don't. Nobody's content at the moment. I think those of us who are in tech, like those of us on this on this podcast or whatever you call it, are, are truly believers in the potential of tech to keep making the world better. And probably we're all certain in some way or another that's going to be the case. But the world is scared. Yeah, and the other. The other thing that's kind of growing here is the fact that people feel that it's it's a winner takes all market, and in many cases, there's no level playing field, right? You don't have a you don't have a shot before it takes off, and part of it's because investors have actually reduced the risk in terms of the investments that are going on by reducing the risk. They've reduced the competition, and therefore, people feel like they don't have a fair shot at anything, and that's a part of the anxiety that people are feeling in that market. And of course, on top of that, you have Oxfam just published a report that. 26 of the richest people on earth have the same wealth of the 50% uh, of humanity, 3.8 billion uh, people. And you have uh, speakers at the conference, Dr. Kaifu Lee, 
who just published uh, AI superpowers, and his belief is in the next 10 years, 40% of jobs are susceptible to automation. World Economic Forum has published reports that by 2025, 50% of skills today can be completely automated. Who is talking about, and what are some of the solutions that you've seen proposed in terms of this, this digital divide that continues to widen? Uh, and, and it's, it's, it's and I haven't read or through research found any real, real uh, sil you know, silver bullet in terms of any of these uh, big topics that, that we're talking about. Well, there is no silver bullet, but everyone agrees, especially in the developed countries, we need a radical increase in training and reskilling education. Uh, the companies need to be doing it, governments need to be supporting it. It needs to be a policy priority uh, of, of significantly greater proportions than it is today. And that the failure to do that is one of the reasons we're seeing Brexit, the election of Trump, the Yellow Vest movement, et cetera, et cetera. People are scared. And that, you know, I've been somewhat wondering how much automation really is behind a lot of that stuff. But the Edelman research today actually suggests that it's a significant factor. Yeah, and then the other fact is behind it is the fact that. Um, in some places, we are going to need that automation. Think about Europe with a declining population rate. Think about Japan with a declining population rate. Think about China in 20 years with a declining population rate. The automation's got to come. But for other countries like the U.S., where we're still growing in population, that can become an issue, even though we've got a scarce skills issue right now. Yeah, so. and it's encouraging to see countries like India. Um, every second, three new people in India uh, connect to the Internet for the first time. The projections are by 2030, a billion active Internet users which would create uh, an economy where India is uh, projected to surpass US by 2030, only behind China. Do you see a lot of representation from, I wouldn't say developing countries, but countries that are demonstrating great GDP growth and great adoption of technology and becoming potentially real strong influences in terms of shaping global economy? Well, I mean, there's no question that the digitization of the economies of the developing countries is proving to be a gigantic boon for them. I mean, I think there is a dichotomy between the attitudes in the developed and the developing countries. In the developing countries, digitization is seen as an unalloyed good, and I think rightly so. Those people have a lot more catching up to do, and they know that digital connectivity is going to help them and is helping them, and we should hope that they achieve that. I mean, I personally look at the big picture of the planet as a very, very big good news story. On reality, in, in every real genuine macro measure, 2018 was the best world, best year in human history for the human race. And the problem is that those benefits are not distributed equally and they're sort of like they're coming up at our expense, speaking as a wealthy world person. And I don't really think that's so terrible objectively as a global thinker, but as an American, as, an, as a citizen of a country that elected Trump, et cetera, it, 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 I can see the consequences of our failure to, to balance that out somehow and our failure to, to even explain it to the citizens of our countries. People don't really see, you know, people don't, I, I am a globalist, I, I'm unashamedly. I, I think it's basically good if the people of Nigeria and Indonesia and South Africa and India are, are radically increasing their wealth and their health and their purchasing power, et cetera, um, realistically, as that continues, it's very hard to see that we will continue to have the same relative advantages that we've had in the last 75 years. And, and ultimately, we've just got to get used to that, in effect. Yeah. Sure. David, David, what do you think has had the most impact in terms of the attitude or the mindset 
and the fact that the World Economic Forum has to remind us that it's not a zero-sum game. Was it the U.S. Uh, presidential uh, elections in the last two years, or the evidence that people uh, have, have now recognized that the, the technology companies need to do a better job of protecting their data and privacy, and society as a whole has recognized that, wow, misuse of data could have profound impact on, 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 on our lives. Which one do you think has had a more, uh, you know, created this sense of, I'll say, uneasiness in terms of the dialogue? I think there's two different sources of uneasiness here. You know, the issue of jobs is quite distinct from the issue of data privacy and, and, and the, the consequences of a targeted advertising model, which is really, I think, the, the Facebook, Google issue and, and may eventually in the not too distant future become an Amazon issue also. Um, I think ultimately that second part, the data issue, is much more an elite concern. Uh, and, and the ordinary citizens of the United States, France, et cetera, they really aren't thinking about that. They're thinking about the jobs piece or and the immigration piece, which they tie together. Um, I think those of us who are much more tied in to what's really happening in tech can see that Facebook in particular has genuinely screwed up on its governance and is not showing any real signs of reforming that, even though they talk a good game, but the, the scope of the problem they face is so vast my own view is that until they turn to the larger world for help, government, civil society, other companies in a collaborative method, method, as long as they keep saying, just trust us, we're good people, we can fix it, it's gonna get worse. So possibly those concerns about data will extend to broader parts of society if they don't get their act together. Yeah, and part of that is that we have a vertically integrated data model here. If you go back to data as the new oil, the problem is we have upstream, midstream, downstream, all being vertically integrated by Facebook in the consumer world. But hey, David, we're almost out of time. I didn't get a run. I'm this a is amazing. No, you're <laughs> always here. Thank you so much for being out here. Thank you. Thank you. Of course. Good luck and all your future success here. So. Thank you. Too, by the way. We could have talked to you for an entire hour. You were terrific. Thank you, sir. Hey, thanks a lot. All right, take care. Wow, we are live here. We've got another awesome guest coming. Uh, but we can keep talking about all the trends that are happening at Davos. Uh, but our next guest is the uh, is a very, very special guy looking at uh, some of the changes as we talk about reskilling innovation in some of the areas. Hop on out here. So Yeah, we are. Yeah, we're, we're, it's a, it's a pleasure for us to have Mike Morris. He's the CEO of TopCoder. Mike established TopCoder as a premier crowdsourcing software development destination. He believes that TopCoder's 1 million plus strong on-demand global software development community will continue to redefine business. And what a critically important time for us to have someone who's leading this incredible army of developers and design thinkers and creative folks helping companies transform. You can follow Top Quarter on Twitter to get the latest news in terms of innovation uh, in that space at Top Quarter. Mike, would you share your Twitter handle with us as well before we start? Sure, it's uh, mpmorris36. MPMORS 36. Excellent. Welcome yeah. to Disrupt TV, Mike. Welcome to Disrupt TV. It's awesome to have you here. Great to see you. So, so, so people are looking for innovation. They're looking for all these different places. But the challenge is, you know, they don't always have the right people around. They don't have the right skill set. Sometimes they need outside ideas. And tell us the premise of why you actually set up the top of So, um, you know, Bill Joy was one of the ones that really kind of founded the thinking around, you know, um, no matter who you are as a company, the smartest people work for somebody else. And uh, we firmly believe that. 
Um, the, and, and Top Coder was a way to establish a, um, an environment and a network and a community that allowed geography not to play, right? It didn't matter where you were. It didn't matter what your background was. If you were able to do a piece of work or accomplish a task, then you earned the right to do that work. And, um, and really, it's that uh, democratization of opportunity. And we have amazing projects that we put out from the likes of companies like Comcast, Zurich Insurance, um, NASA, and we allow people all over the globe to be able to work on these projects um, and collaborate with each other to solve really complex or highly creative uh, problems. Now, you use like a system of challenges, right? Like, how does one set up something? Like, I'm going to do a top cutter challenge. Like, how do they set it up? Like, yeah. what, what are some of the elements that are required to be successful? So, most people will first think that that must mean that you have to have this incredibly specific specification. And um, it's actually quite the opposite. So what we do is we try to start with something that's broad brush and a challenge really brings out creative um, ideas. So you can have a lot of um, difference of opinion, difference of thought, diversity of thought that comes in from a challenge where you might get 12 people to submit the way that an application could flow or could work or could look um, as opposed to one or two. So we use a challenge to really bring out the best in our community. Um, when you do things like application development, you know, we're using challenges more to identify the people with the right skill sets. And then we use them to do that hard engineering, that, uh, that, that testing, and all the finished goods. Um, and then finally, on our, career, on our uh, data science side, that's where competition is, uh, in my opinion, is kind of the crown jewels of top computer, where, you know, people will compete, you know, not just for the prize money, but they compete for the problems that we solve, predictive medicine problems, getting uh, a mission to Mars problems. Um, these things are huge, difficult, complicated, hairy, algorithmic problems. And, um, and people compete for the fun of that or for the, the, you know, the ability to see their names on leaderboards and get statistics and ratings for it. Sure. Mike, we had the president of IDC on our show a couple of weeks ago, and he said, that from 1965 to 2017, half a billion software applications were created. And IDC projects that only in the next 10 years, there'll be another half a billion applications. So doubling the, uh, the, 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 the total capacity in just the next decade. At the same time, demand for IT to develop applications is five times greater than their ability to produce based on our latest research. So there's incredible demand. We don't have the skill set to deliver to those demands. It's launching the citizen development movement, but without necessarily the, the guidelines you need to ensure scalability and security. So tremendous opportunity for organizations like TopCoder to help companies accelerate the digital business transformation. My question to you is, given the fact that we know there's a skills gap shortage within companies, and those companies that don't leverage communities like TopCoder are sure to fall behind. How do you incentivize, or can you talk about, like for example, I've heard a top, premier TopCoder has an automatic interview at some of the best tech companies in the world, Google's, the Apple's, the Salesforce's. So there's incentive for you to be part of this community because you have lifelong employability. At Davos, how are you encouraging the community to understand the benefits of partnering with TopCoder? You know, I think, um, I actually say your, your estimate might even be low. Um, I, I believe so much in like the amount of technology that is going to be produced and 
um, serverless computing and containerized computing and all these other things that combine together with exponential technologies like crowdsourcing um, are going to lead to uh, an environment with, with AI where with much less physical code, you can create an application. I mean, I think order of magnitudes less, which is going to lead to more and more applications, more and more complexity and more and more innovation. So to me, it's the companies that act in, as an exponential organization that are going to disrupt the ones that are not, that are gonna pave the way. And uh, it is now, it is true, companies are seeing it. They realize that they are, they are competing with Apple, with Google for the same exact talent because Apple and Google will hire as much as they can get, right? Salesforce will hire as much as they can get. Um, so they're really competing for that talent, that top-notch talent. Um, and they're not going to be in the brands in you know, retail and each of the financial services are going to have a hard time getting that because the other movement that's happening at the exact same time is that people are realizing that the world really is flat. And when you have, um, you know, when your skill is based in intellectual capital, that you can demand, you know, a fair and equitable um, living uh, by providing that intellectual capital companies that will pay for it regardless of where you are. Right? The next generation is not going to, like, not even close going to sit in cubes. They might do that as a social experiment or something fun, but it's not going to be to get work done. Um, I already see that in our, we're, we're, a, uh, we're a Wipro company, um, and, uh, and we, are, we operate 100% remotely. So my entire team and top customer works remote. 170,000 employees spread around the globe. That's amazing. That's pretty well. So here at Davos, right, what are you looking for? What are you trying to talk to people about? What are people engaging you with? Some conversations that are hot. So the vibe that I hear a lot of is, uh, you know, disruption and transformation. There's just a heavy, heavy vibe towards that. And, uh, you know, I mean, probably a little bit too much. Um, but, uh, but the funny thing is, is that the themes of globalization are clearly uh, underpinning everything. Um, I think a lot of the gig economy theme is subdued. Right. It's like, you know, it's mentioned kind of as one of those things that's going to you know, be a big impact or be an issue. Um, AI is, you know, uh, there's a, an amazing theme of uh, I think half the people here are positive on the effects of AI and what it's going to bring to us. And the other half are scared. The robots are going to kill us all. <laughs> they, they call themselves the realists. Uh, I'm on the positive side, obviously. Uh, but uh, I think that's really interesting. Um, so those are the themes that I'm hearing. I think next year we're going to see a lot more about how globalization and the gig economy together are going to change the way companies operate, how countries look at, at talent, right? So if you think about it, a lot of the way that we're competing as an organization or even as a, as a country is the talent that we're able to produce, attract, bring in. Um, and uh, and I, I think that that's going to be a major uh, major theme that, you know, I sense it, I hear it, a lot of people talk about it, but it's not one of the top four or five or maybe even ten themes sure. this year, but that's going to be another one. Wow. We're here with Mike Morris. We are here with Mike Morris, CEO of Top Coder um, at M-M-O-R-R-I-S 36, is that correct? N-P-M. N-P-M. R-R-I-S 36. Yes. All right, we're live in Davos. Thank you very much. Thanks for dropping by. Yeah. So, Thanks, see you later. Mike. Wow, this is fast. We only got like seven minutes. All of these guests deserve more time. So I'm going to apologize on our behalf because these are big thinkers and they're doing big work. And uh, but you know, this is our this is our speed disrupt TV version. And uh, this is where we bring uh, this is my baseball analogy, although
coming from Boston and what Patriots have just recently done. I should be using a football analogy, but this is our cleanup hitter spot. This is where we bring the last guest and we expect he or she to hit a grand slam and I'm sure that's gonna be the case. Our final guest on our special edition from Davos is Gravinder Singh Sani, Chief Marketing Officer at Aperio and General Manager for Strategic Marketing Initiatives at Wipro. Govinda has led global head of analyst relations, account-based marketing, influencer marketing, geo-marketing at, at Wipro. He's a digital marketing thought leader, one of the most social CMOs you're gonna find on Twitter, and generally considered by many, including myself, as a top digital transformation executive thought leader that you wanna know and connect with. You can follow Govinda on Twitter at GSSAH. And I welcome Gurminder to Disrupt TV. Thank you. Yeah, thanks again. I thought uh, you're gonna finish five minutes in the intro. I'm talking about that. No, 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 we have two minutes left. No, I'm kidding. Gurminder <laughs> and I have been walking the streets of Davos, and we're trying to figure out what's going on, get a sense for what's happening. We've been into the different conversations, and a lot of what happens at Davos is not in the Congress Center. It's actually all the stuff that's happening on the streets, the conversations, all the sidebars, some of the hotels, some great conversations. A couple of things that you thought were interesting this year. I think I think I would correlate it to uh, what we believe at uh, Perio. I, I think we believe it's all about a different experience, and I see it happening here. You know, for example, our thought is that your customers don't exist in silos. So why should your technology? And as I meet people, I'm kind of able to relate to that because I hear that talk uh, as I walk and met a number of people. Right, we met from chief executives to. A lot of startups who are here talking about AI and experience. So that, that's been my experience so far. Yeah, and I, I think the other thing is like there's a lot of conversation about um, platforms, how these platforms are going to play, and then I think there's also a lot of conversations about how new technology is going to get adopted. And I think that's really been one of the things that people are trying to figure out how to work around. So one, but, uh, one of the things that's uh, well known about Aperio is that very technically astute. Uh, service provider and technology company. Um, my experience with Aperio has been that often you're engaged with businesses on not just modernizing existing legacy processes, but rather coming up with new sources of revenue, new business model innovation. And in order to do that, you have to have the business acumen, the technology, the design capabilities, and also macro, micro market understanding. Govinda, how much discussion at Davos is centered around new business models in order to have sustainable growth and frankly relevance versus just using technology in combination to simply modernize legacy processes? So, you know, it's, it's, it's an interesting question because uh, I think this is our third year together and the sixth year for me. And I think uh, this year I can see a lot of relevant discussion, especially from a sustainability perspective because I think the, the customers are actually putting pressure back on business and they have to answer to that. So I think this is, uh, we moved way ahead in comparison to how I used to see, let's say four or five years ago. So, so I see a big change. And, and, and you know, coming to a period, I, I think our, our, we have a big focus in terms of customer satisfaction, right? So we have a 75, 71% higher NPS than industry average. And uh, in terms of uh, how it relates to uh, project uh, timelines, you know, so we have an 83% shorter project timeline uh, if you look at the industry average. So there's a clear focus on those two aspects from an APO perspective. And you know, uh, it's, it's the complete about two years of acquisition. 
as when we acquired Imperio. And I think it's opened up a whole new avenue in terms of multiple industries and looking at our customers. And with my experience from an account-based marketing perspective, I think we look at a very bright uh, future from an Imperio perspective. And, and we met at Dreamforce as well, right? Imperio uh, uh, creates an amazing experience, whether it's an event or whether it's in a, in a live customer scenario. It's all about I'm hoping that I can, uh, you know, uh, uh, qualify for that distinction someday. Uh, so, 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 Govinda, you have a tough job in, a, in an era of, uh, you know, globalization for audio, where there's clearly in the last two years a deficit in trust, especially in the tech sector. Right. You recognize, and you've recognized this for as many years as I've known you, that your culture is your brand. Absolutely. How companies and employees and business partners and your communities perceive your brand or perceive your culture is the same in, in terms of, it correlates directly to how much they, they trust your products, your services, your company as a whole. Now, how as a newly uh, promoted and congratulations CMO of Aperio, working in a company as large as Wipro, what are you doing to bring those ethos or those core values that you've maintained since I've known you to create that culture of inclusiveness, empathy, trust, collaboration, and really co-creation of value, which again, Aperia has been known to do for many years. I think action speaks louder than words. And uh, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting that the founder of Aperio, uh, Chris Barbin, is actually uh, the head of our culture organization. We call it as Culture Works. Uh, which is actually working towards, uh, you know, how do we look at culture hacks? Like, you know, we heard at Gartner Symposium earlier where this book, what how critical culture hacks are. So that's actually a team, and it's very close to a period because their founder is actually implementing that. And uh, and, and I think from that perspective, it's it, it's a big step that we took uh, from the Pro and period. And you know, in, in uh, we're also focusing a lot on uh, localization. So uh, I don't know if you saw the latest numbers in our quarterly results. Uh, we are about 62% plus local uh, in a geography like the United States, which is so critical for us. So I think those are the two uh, things that I can quote in terms of action uh, being louder than words. Wow, we're here with Dr. Vendor saying this has been awesome. Thank, Thank you for here. Thanks a lot. We're gonna take out. Thanks. Uh, we'll catch up in a little bit. Thanks a lot. Bye from Davos. Bye from Davos. So <laughs> that's all right. Uh, Gurvinder is an uh, incredible digital marketeer. I always learn from him, and uh, I'm happy that he was on our first show from Davos. This is very, very good. So yeah, so we're gonna do some more live broadcasting from Davos. Uh, we get some interesting folks. Uh, we're gonna get a scene for the Chinese VC scene uh, tomorrow, and a couple other uh, surprise guests. We are pulling folks. I think we might have the CMO of SAP Ariba, Tiffin. I think she's gonna be on, so we'll see what's going on, but we've got piling guests. These are kind of uh, random. Uh, also, an event report, you can check to see what's going on, uh, our view from what's happening at Davos. Uh, that just got published. You can check it out on the Constellation website. Uh, we're talking about the fact that the globalization forum is under fire as global leaders fail the populace. Uh, we're talking about the trends that are creating schisms uh, around the world, uh, but more importantly, what we can do about it. So you can read a little bit about that on the Constellation website. Other than that, yeah, thanks for joining us for the special edition of uh, Disrupt TV at Davos. Any last words on your end? You know, I love uh, the photos that you've been sharing. Please keep sharing photos. I, I, I'm living vicariously through you by just following your stream. Please follow RWANG0 Ray has been incredibly generous with his observations, live streams, not just videos, so you get to see 
panels and keynotes, and it's like you have a front row seat addition to our World Economic Forum Davos 2019. And a note from a producer, Aubrey, uh, catch us at 7.30 a.m. Pacific and 10.30 a.m. Eastern tomorrow as well. Terrific. Nice talking to you, Ray. We'll get you uh, tomorrow. And uh, enjoy, stay warm and enjoy World Economic Forum Davos 2019. We'll see you tomorrow at 10.30 Eastern Standard, 7.30 Pacific. See you, everyone. Hey, bye, everyone. Thanks a lot.